Greg, we have something amazing for the listeners today. Ooh, what is it? What is it? Well, we're going to talk about a script that was unfairly cut by somebody and the studio just shortened it. Oh, and then like we get the longer version and it's going to yeah. be so much better. Ooh. Are we are we really going to are we going to really drop this bombshell? We're going to talk about this. We're going to do it. We're going to I think we're I think we're good. You know, I've got an advanced copy. You you have it? I have it right here. Did you did you get this from the 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 overlords over at the uh over, you know, like the the Johns and stuff? Is that is that where you got it? No, no. I got it directly from AT&T. What? No are you way. Ready? Yes, I've already watched it. Are you I, ready to watch I, this live? I, 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 I don't have a choice, dude. I mean, if you're gonna, you're gonna make me do this, and I have to. I have. I, I mean, we have, have to, right? Like, who wouldn't want more Justice League? I, I let me grab my pretzels because those are the best Snyder's cuts that we've got. So, because um, yeah. Snyder's pretzels not affiliated with our podcast, but gosh darn it. If you want to sponsor us, please do. Cause I do love pretzels, even though I'm gluten-free. I, um, I can't tell you enough about how good of a cut of pretzel. These are the honey mustard, the Buffalo wing. Um, they make such a good product and it is so dang tasty. And when you start chewing on these things, they just cut your mouth up. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. If you think about it, Snyder's pretzels, the best cut, of anything named Snyder we'll see this year. Oh, delicious. Put that in a bag, seal it, wrap it, send it off. But we are going to talk about something that was cut, maybe unjustly, maybe fairly, but we are, well, we're getting into some dangerous waters here. Oh, dangerous waters. Because we're we already are, there. <laughs> well, we are, and we're going to read something from one of the, Granted, he he died, so he can't sue us anymore. But from the most litigious authors in history, oh, could it be the one, the only, the man himself, Harlan Ellison? It is Harlan Ellison, and you have how many books on your bookshelf behind you? Uh, quite a few, quite a few. But uh, uh, namely, and most importantly, uh, the beast that shouted love at the heart of the world, which contains a number of stories but um and in various styles that that he writes in and various uh various themes and other things but uh one of the things that is noted in here is uh, a boy and his dog so if you haven't seen that movie you should go check it out the story that's in this book much better than the the movie that was put out in the 70s and this this artwork on this book that i have because it's a paperback and it's in very good condition for the fact that it's from uh that time frame it's got some delicious artwork on there of a skull and a lady inside the skull and some like crazy like um wiring and other things like that it, it looks like a pinball machine in the skull's head it is fantastic and i bought it purely like one because i like harlan ellison but two because this artwork is amazing And see, yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't like, know how to, I don't know how to follow up on that, except to say Harlan Ellison, one of the most prolific uh, science, fiction writer, science fiction writers in history. And also, like I said, one of the most litigious ones, but legitimate, legitimately, you know, people did take away from his vision sometimes without credit, crediting him. I, if they had made Santa Claus versus the versus 
S-P-I-D-E-R into something, I don't even know. My mind would have exploded. It's a, it's a Christmas story about Santa Claus fighting what we don't know. It's inside this book, but it's not a book that we're going to talk about today. No, no. Well, I do also like the fact that I do love Harlan Ellison's writing. Did you know that Harlan Ellison is also friends with a very controversial comic book and TV writer or was uh, friends? I am. I, I am unaware. Who is this? Oh, did you know that Michael Straczynski and him were very, very close friends? Oh, really? Even to the point that Straczynski was the executor of his estate. Oh, wow. That is that is interesting. Yeah. And so you're talking about controversy. We can just spin all the controversy. We don't need anybody named Snyder. We have Straczynski and Ellison and we don't need any more. No, no, that's and 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 that that can be, you know, um, take it as you will or as you want. But uh, let that not muddy the waters of today's discussion at all. But, you know, he did win a lawsuit against uh, and he being uh, he being Harlan Ellison uh, against the the creators of Terminator. Uh, what? Yeah, for stealing his story, uh, soldier and making into Terminator. He even got his name in the credits. Amazing. I, and I shouldn't say and one. I believe they settled, but they his settled. name ended up in the credits. And then uh, I believe they made another follow on movie that was set in the same universe that was about a soldier on a. There were a few, a few of those movies, I think. With a, um, a star from the 70s who has a prolific. Uh, fame to him as well well and he also wrote lots of things but in this case he wrote a teleplay for star trek the original series which ran in the first season what he wrote star trek stuff no way called well he wrote one because it didn't go real well (laughs) it's well i mean it's a good episode it's my favorite episode of the original series uh called city on the edge of forever Ooh, it sounds so delicious. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> the title is awesome. Uh, it's definitely my favorite episode. And, and the reason I picked this one is because there was controversy. So we like talking about controversy here because mm-hmm. uh, he did actually sue CBS Paramount um, <laughs> seeking 25% of the net receipts of merchandising and publishing and other income from the episode since 67. And uh, he settled uh, in 2009. So he did get his due on that because obviously it is a super popular episode. Uh, Additionally, uh, it didn't go well because Gene Roddenberry and other scriptwriters on the show actually rewrote (laughs) the entire script. And he wasn't too happy with that. (laughs) Yeah. Though apparently it was like 300 pages. Wow. Yeah, that would be like in in TV time, movie time, uh, a page a minute. That's like 300 minutes. It would be a very long run episode. That's like multiple episodes. Well, but luckily for us, since there are other mediums, uh, IDW Publishing uh, worked with Harlan Ellison and uh, artist uh, Juan Ortiz, and they put together, uh, they got couple of writers to 
adapt it to comic book form. So we actually get to see in graphic novel form, the actual original story, which I think is really cool. That is good. Because... And over the next couple of weeks, we'll review the original teleplay that was made into the graphic novel. And then uh, we'll, we will finalize up about four weeks from now. So we'll do the first two issues, another two issues, and then we'll do the last issue with some commentary at the end. And then we will get into uh, and actually watch the episode that aired and do some comparisons because admittedly, even though this was, uh, even though this was changed, uh, it's still my favorite episode of Star Trek, at least the original series. It's such a, it, it really is a good, it is a good episode when, uh, when you present this, presented this to me and I cracked this thing open and started reading through it, uh, the episode started flooding back, uh, as if I was, I just a wee youngster watching Star Trek with my dad again and you know just sitting there with the 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 knob turning TV on its rolling tray because that's how we watch TV <laughs> and um, sitting on the on, on the floor just amazed because of all the different things that were happening in this episode that didn't seem like anything I'd seen before in the show. Yeah. Well, and, and we're not the only ones that liked it. Uh, you know, from the perspective, it's really interesting. And I am on Wikipedia, but I pulled the other information from a variety article, you know, variety, the premier magazine source for all the information I get and everything yeah. I research. Of course. Uh, yeah. But it, it was a, <laughs> you know, they did a eulogy for uh, Harlan Ellis or eulogy, I guess not a eulogy, but you know, an article. Mm hmm. I'm a good host. You know, the article you write after somebody dies, that's called a, um, a eulogy. We, we both have degrees in communication. You know, the word escapes me, but that's okay. I call it the, uh, 2020, 2021 stuck in the home. My brain is not working a hundred percent because life takes up a lot and, um, the struggle is real. Sure. Yeah, I I do think the cool thing here, though, is that this script, Ellison's original script, won the 1968 Writers Guild Award for Best Episodic Drama in Television. Yeah. And the shooting script that was rewritten won the 1968 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation, the nice. Sci-Fi Awards. So both scripts were the best script, which makes it even more confusing. Well, it just goes to show that both scripts had their own pedestal to stand on and they stood well by both Harlan Ellison and the team that rewrote it. But definitely inspired by Harlan Ellison because there's a lot here that made it to the show and then there's a lot that didn't make it to the show. So we won't run a full comparison yet. We'll do that when we watch the show because we just want to get into the fun of this story. There we go. So let's get started. Okay. What do you think of the cover? Oh man, it's I, I like it because it's it's very um cosmic if that makes if, if that it is know. it has that it has that super cool like if i pulled this book out of a bookstore close to you that i don't want to name <laughs> and i got dusted all the dust off of it and made mm -hmm. it to the you know book without being uh, accosted uh, for mm -hmm. looking in the bookstore i would pull this off and i would think man this is right out of the 60s Oh yeah, no, it has that feel, that look to it, the the colors, the tones, 
that are used in here definitely have that feel the the way that the titling is done on it um it <clears throat> it harkens back to an a, an older time it really is living on the edge of forever yes and so we are reviewing of course star trek harlan ellison's the city on the edge of forever the original teleplay art by juan ortiz and I do want to say, before we get into this, Harlan Ellison wrote a nice letter at the start of the story. And uh, I do want to note that Scott and David Tipton adapted the story. And it does also cite art by J.K. Woodward. And anything else that you got out of the uh, out of the story here? Out of the out of the little story up there, yeah. In the in the front, just that uh, yep. you know, um, you know, it was it was just I I want to leave some of the uh, keep it all high points. So <laughs> okay, but and then of course the cover he was artist. over the moon. He was over the moon. He was excited. <laughs> he was, and of course, yeah. the, the, Woodward did the interior art. And of course, we cited Juan Ortiz as the cover artist. So mm-hmm. at least what we're working at, there was one more cover artist. There was four covers by Paul Shipper, too. So I do want to mention that uh, before we get in the story, because we, especially when we're doing an episode with Harlan Ellison, trademark R, uh, we do want to make sure that we give credit to uh, everyone that contributed to the story. Correct. So let's to creep back out from the uh, to 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 roll in the grave or to just come back out of the nethers and get us. No, we don't want him. So should we go back and get the letters too? Because we might as well get everything here. It is a Harlan Ellison book. Letters by Neil Utake. Hopefully mm-hmm. that's correct. And editor Chris Ryle. Covers by Juan Ortiz and a collection of edits by Justin Ezinger and Alonzo Simon. And collection design by Claudia Chong. So there we go. There's everyone. That's everyone that IDW lists. Nobody can come after us now. That's right. Now you can forever stay his pal. Your pal, Harlan Ellison. Trademark R. Trademark R. Don't forget it's trademarked. Trademark. I don't want to be sued. Make sure. Okay. No soon. <laughs> so, we know a good lawyer. <laughs> we do know a good lawyer, but I don't want to be sued. <laughs> so, whew, okay, so ship's log start date 3134.6. I'm so excited right now. I cannot oh, yeah. tell you how excited I am. Dan is excited. NCC 1701. Are we really mm-hmm. talking about Star Trek on the show? We are. We are. Okay. I think I'm going to cry. Are you? Okay. It's okay. You can cry um, happy tears. Happy tears. Let them out. For all one of our listeners, they're going to yes. love the fact that I am talking about Star Trek. They're, they're, sadly, they're, 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 they're not Trekkies. That may be true. <laughs> we, we don't really know. We don't know. <laughs> I'm going to tag everyone. I'm going to tag Star Trek all over this when we put it on Twitter. I just Do want it. you to know. Do it. So now we're in and... Uh, the ship's out, and we get a box of crystals that I've never <gasps> seen before. Ooh, crystals. They do look cool. They, they're really cool-looking gems. They're called Jewels of Sound, I guess. Oh, yeah. 
What do you do with them? I don't know. Apparently, mm. like eat them or listen to them. I'm not sure. This guy really wants some, though. Yeah, he does. He's like, I beg you. I won't beg, but but I want some. I think an interesting start that we get here. We have two characters we've never seen in an episode before, both wearing yellow shirts. Ooh, that means they're higher up. Not red shirts. Mm -mm. Does that mean they're higher up? Do you understand how Star Trek works? <laughs> the higher, the higher, yeah, the shirts, red no. shirts are usually. <laughs> no, that's, that's, no, 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 <laughs> it was a joke, Dan. It was a joke. Oh, gosh. I mean, yellow is command line. Yeah, you're correct. But don't. Yeah, that doesn't mean you're high up yet. You might just be like an ensign. Yeah, well, you know, they they wield some sort of power. They're not they they're not typically going to die. Wait, not typically going to die. Oh, my God. Just because red shirts are security and engineering and some other things. Don't you're 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 stop it. I, I I don't write the stories for Star Trek. I, I just watch them. And I know, generally speaking, red shirts tend to go faster than most. That's fair. Red shirts don't do well on the original series. That's that's correct. But that's not because they're not good at their job or they're not, you know, commanders potentially. Right. They might just be in yeah. engineering or security. It's things okay. blow up. Things get shot. You know, things happen. Yeah, like blue is science. Missed. You got this. Yellow's command. Yeah. Red's yeah. like security and engineering. And yeah, okay. Yeah, I just want you to understand. I understand. Okay, so now we have blue, red, and yellow crystals. So maybe oh. he gets the yellow one for command. Maybe just passing them out. Beckwith is a crystal dealer. Oh. Yeah, and who are these guys? So Beckwith, never heard of him. Mm -mm. And uh, I don't know who this other guy is at all. He's a lieutenant. And apparently not a very good one. Yeah, no, I mean, he's he's chomping down these crystals, man. Gets a yellow one. And apparently these crystals caused something really terrible to happen. <laughs> the, slot, the slaughter you caused on Harper 5. Wow, that's okay. I, I don't know about the slaughter on Harper five. We might have to look that up. We might have to. Well, he does get a yellow crystal for command. That's true. Yeah. And he puts it in his mouth. Okay. It's either his mouth or his nose. We really can't tell. It's just, it's ingested. It's, it's somewhere in his, in his body. And he, he puts it in his body somehow. And he goes some, all sorts of painted crazy here. Oh yeah. This is a really cool panel though. I have to say, I like the, the way it depicts crystal use, man. <laughs> yeah, apparently crystals are really good. This painted artwork, by the way, is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So we get in and he's all over the place and now he's on. Uh, what is it? Lebuke? Lebuque? Lebuque. We find out Lieutenant Lebuque. Lebuque. Yeah. Uh, Spock's not happy with him. Oh, no. He's got some problems. And he gets thrown off the bridge. Uh, he's blown the entire drive, man. Yeah, well, apparently he Spock just thinks he's sick, but he freaks out thinking Spock knows something more because he's a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And he goes running back to Beckwith to, uh, oh. 
tell him he's going to tell on him. And you know what happens when you tell on the dealer. Yeah, all heck breaks loose on the ship. It doesn't go so well. Um, Beckwith grabs one of those styrofoam things that's always sitting around to hit people with on the set. Yeah, yeah. It looks like uh, one of those uh, Mesex cubes from Rick and Morty. Yeah, it does, actually. <laughs> and he he runs over and hits Le Bouquet and uh, presumably kills him. I think so. And it doesn't look well. He's been dated. And he does it in the, you know, he does it out in the corridor. So that's not the best place to kill somebody. Mm-mm. And then he starts taking people out because uh, there's one of your red shirts. He beats him up with his own gun. Yep. Because, you know, that's what you do. See a red shirt. He's got a gun. Smack him with it. And uh, heads to the transporter. And sprinting toward the transporter, we have Captain Kirk, Spock, uh, Yeoman Rand, and yeah. Dr. McCoy. Classic and so setup. Rand's got to get the door open, uh, so she shoots it. Because that's what you do. <laughs> and they hear the transporter it's been activated and they get in there and the chief transporter chief's been knocked out and Beckwith is gone. Oh man. Bad news. Mm-mm. And that's how we start our story. So nice little uh, preliminary setup there. Uh, yeah. They introduce the characters effectively, right? I know who the two characters are that I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. I know their place in the story. And then we get into the mainline characters who obviously will be, the protagonist in the story. I, I mean, I'm assuming Captain yeah. Kirk will be the protagonist. Yeah. And you get your, you get your landing, your landing party. And lots of red shirts, <laughs> lots of security, lots of, lots of secu- <laughs> Well, I mean, you got a guy who's, you know, jump ship and onto a place where you need to have security. So you got to go with the detail and, made it up consistent of his uh, red shirt detachment. So a little while later, I will be questioning their decision on how they deal with their security, but uh, we will move forward. So they they get down to the planet and start at 3133.4 and they say this cinder, this empty death of a world. And so they get down and they're tracking footprints in this reddish sand. Ooh. Red sand. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's it supposed is. to emulate Mars, I guess. Yeah. How's that feel? And so they're moving right along, trying to track down Beckwith, and they come across these really cookie, uh, really cool-looking mountains. Ooh, craggy. And Yeoman Rand, leading the mission, cites it as a source of radiation. That's so, bad. And I just think it's... Uh, I'll just say um, Harlan Ellison has Yeoman Rand doing more than I've seen her do in almost any episode. True, true. Giving her some uh, some agency uh, right off the bat, you know, giving her the the blaster to to take down the door, leading the away party, uh, all these different things, um, and hopefully, you know that that that's it unheard of at the time. Yeah, well, and I'm almost wondering, like, if that was 
one of the reasons the script got rewritten besides of its length, you know, besides its length. Yeah. Or maybe just in the rewrite. I mean, she has, I don't remember if she has a part actually, because I haven't watched the episode yet. So yes, well, we when we watch the episode, we'll, we will uh, compare and contrast. We'll I don't, I don't recall her having a large part in the episode though. Mm. Just large hair. She does have large hair. Her yes. hair is amazing. Yes. It's kind of, you know, like I, I, I want to say that the, uh, the ladies in the B-52s um, uh, modeled their, their beehive hairdo. It's entirely possible. It is, <laughs> it is glorious hair. Yes. Um, you could probably hide another phaser in there. Probably Maybe too. Maybe she has. <laughs> it's, her, it's her backup. <laughs> it's her backup to her door melting phaser. Yeah, you know, she's got another door melter in there. It's actually a phaser rifle, and then there's a... Um, okay, so the story. Yes. So... <laughs> so the story, yes. It looks like a city. You know, I may have a book just full of weapons. Um... <laughs> I don't doubt it. You know I have a mechleth, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We've had this discussion before. <laughs> You're giving me a tough time because I I didn't know the difference. You said between a batleth and a mechleth, which is disgusting. You should definitely know the difference. Eh, you keep one in your on your side. You hold one on your back. Oh, my. OK, so uh, anyway, we get to these uh, cool looking mountains. Yeoman Rand leads them there and we get the punchline already. Uh, Mr. Spock, do you see the city up there? I can't do it. Can you do it? Mr. Spock, do you see the city up there? Do you see it too? Like a city. A city on the edge of forever. <gasps> so I get the name of the story. But yeah, it's uh, it's cool. So there's this big city up in the mountains. It's a very like crystal looking city. Uh, very fantasy looking with the art. Yeah, I like it. It's I got love that. Hmm? I was just kidding. I love the mix of the fantasy and the sci-fi at the same time. It's pretty sweet. They make their way up. Make their way up, and then they see all of the. Looks like they see some guys with beards. Yeah, and some cool like hair. Or hats? Hat hair? Yeah. You know, they, they kind of remind me. Like, there's these old guys uh, sitting out, kind of with gray beards and hair. Gnomes. Um, called the Guardians, I oh, think. Oh, okay. The Guardians. Okay. We are the Guardians of Forever. Now, I know that Harlan Ellison liked to sue people. Ah, yes. Ah, but maybe... <laughs> Since this won the award for best screenplay in 1968. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to call out Harlan Ellison anyway, because he is the best. But is there another group of guardians you've ever heard of? Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um... We're not talking about trash Marvel comics here. Oh, the Guardians then. Oh yeah, the Guardians of the Universe in oh, yeah. 
And do you want to guess what year their first appearance was in? Was it earlier than this episode? <laughs> 1960. Uh <laughs> So good eight years before. Created by John Broom and Gil Kane. Um, oh. Remember our favorite John Broom, the, our favorite author of Green mm-hmm. Lantern. Yeah. Yes. But we, of course, remember Gil Kane, who drew amazing Guardians of the Universe. And so I did find the parallel really interesting of the white-haired Guardians of the Universe. Uh, and here we have the Guardians of Forever. Yep. So that's totally different. Very different. Two different words meaning two different things. Forever universe. These these guys have different sleeves. Of course, I mean Green Lantern was taken from Lensmen, so you know, like I, I mean, we could just keep going back. I guess my point is uh a lot of good authors draw from what they read and what they experience and mm-hmm. they incorporate elements of that into their stories, right? Of course. What I mean, there if if you don't take something from what you know or what you enjoy and put it into something that you would like to, that you're producing and putting out there into the world, then you're not, you have to, you have to read, watch and digest things to be able to create. That's just, you can't create in a vacuum because if you do, then you just, you don't, you, you can't, it doesn't work very well. And of course, you're going to run into some parallels, too. So, you know, it'll happen. Yeah. Especially in science fiction, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. And I think in science fiction, too, you need links to now. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, and you need links to understanding. Otherwise, people can't conceptualize it, right? Very, very true. Because as a science fiction author yourself. uh, (laughs) I I might have dabbled occasionally on on some things that might be science fiction or science fiction adjacent, but yeah, when uh, when creating things that are um, within those realms, there's always going to be similarities to things that um, that people can understand or accept as a reality, if you will. So, or there's a common knowledge that that makes sense. It's kind of it, um, not to delve too much, but I mean, when you're telling a story that that has different types of elements in it that um, that makes sense for a reader or a watcher to just be able to go back and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. You you have to put those things in there uh, if it ties back to something that they they might understand and know from the past, so that it um, makes it more believable or at least uh, enjoyable. Yeah. And I think uh, here we have some fun. We've got some, I mean, I would also say they're sort of like the Wizard of Oz type character too. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So, and they've got, we are the guardians for forever. Do you want to, you know, do this? (coughs) I think you're going to do it better than I can. We are the guardians of forever. Since before your sun burned, not in space, before your race was born, only on this world do the million pulse flows of time and space merge. Only mirror do the flux lines of forever melt. Only here can exist the gateway to the past 
where the time vortex of the ancients can work only here. And we were set to watch the time vortex so many hundreds of centuries ago that even we do not have clear memories of it. I cannot tell you how happy I am at this moment. Okay, <laughs> so Kirk starts questioning them and gets answers, um, you know, about their time machine. And they're like, no, no, it's a vortex. And uh, of course, you know, Spock starts figuring it out. Um, because Spock quits asking them about their time vortex and starts trying to figure out, you know, where Beckwith is at. <laughs> Because that's, that's logical. Therefore, right. Yes. <laughs> He's all about the logic. While Kirk is all about the time. Vortex. That was terrible. <laughs> but they do note that their vortex was built by a science man cannot understand, of course, because we can't replicate it. Because if we could replicate a time vortex, we could just go anywhere we want in time and freeze time and that would mess up everything. And then we wouldn't get like Voyager and species A, B, C, D, A, F, G, H, 1, 9, 6, 7, 3, 4. You know, remember those guys? Yes. Yeah. And so now we're getting in here and it's super cool because they keep having this conversation about the vortex and that, you know, time is weary for craftsmen who cannot demonstrate his craft. We have nothing to do, but desire to show you. And so we can kind of get these wizard of Oz type riddles, uh, mm -hmm. to continue. I think it's super neat and super fun. And then Kirk just asked them a question. Can you show us the past of any world? <laughs> They're like, sure, we can do that. Boom, boom, boom. And so Kirk gazes in and they start showing the past of Earth. And we get uh, dinosaurs. And tall ships. ships. <laughs> yep. And we get some uh, looking like uh, cars that gangsters are going to jump out of with Tommy guns. Oh, yeah. And then... Kirk asks, uh, could we go back? Any of us? Say, to this time, 1930, of old Earth. Yes, but it is not wise. Man and now man must live in their present or their future, but never in their past. Save to learn lessons from it. Time can be dangerous. If passage back is affected, the Voyager may add a new factor to the past, and this change is time. All... Oh, oh. Oops, sorry. I messed up. <laughs> Alter everything that happened from that point to the present. All through the universe. So... Harlan Ellison's kind of awesome as a writer, yes. which yes. we're already aware. But I, I love this passage because it both it's sci-fi cheesy, right, mm -hmm. in the way it's written. But it also has a great messaging, right? And especially to now, this whole notion of, you know, don't, you know, you need to live in the present or the future. Don't dwell on the past. Yeah. So there's the inherent lesson inside the 
inside the story, but you also get the lesson through the story, right? Because obviously they're setting up something here. I don't think going into the past is going to be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... because you have to, I mean, you you can't, if you if you, like they're saying, if you go back and change things, then it will affect everything. And you don't want that. But we see Beckwith hiding behind a big crystal rock pillar. This cannot be good. No, can't be good. Not Beckwith. And of course, now we get Spock getting involved because Spock's like, then time is not a constant. It is not rigid. Time is elastic. It will revert to its original shape when changes are minor. But when the change is life or death when the sum of intelligence alters the balance then the change can become permanent and terrible yeah and so they get in and so we find out that they ask if people have gone back and they said they don't we guard this yeah nobody does i mean why would you i mean we just told you why you don't do it it's bad you they're don't do clear, the bad thing. They're clearly very effective guards too, since they have the time stream open, like yeah. right there for them to look at. You know, you know. They, I mean, well, it's kind of like when you're going through Netflix and you're like, "What do I want to watch?" And you're just like scrolling through, and you're just like, "Oh, hey, look at this!" And then all of a sudden, you click on something and it starts playing, but you forget about it. And then all of a sudden, you like turn it off because you want to watch something else on regular TV or on a different app or something like that. And then you come back, and now you've watched like eight episodes of a season of some show you didn't want to watch, but now it's messed up your whole entire, like every suggestion from then from that point for forever, because you now have all these suggestions based off of watching eight episodes of some show you didn't want to watch. So that's basically what they're telling you. Don't do it. It's bad. It's going to do that and mess you up. I'm totally with you. I thought I was on my roommate's HBO max feed. Oh, and no. I pulled up Batman Forever and the Green Lantern movie, but I was oh. actually on my feed. <laughs> you you wanted to mess with his and not with yours, and now all you're getting is those. those and things. when life, what's a life or death situation? Yeah, like being forced to watch Batman Forever. Ugh. Well, I mean, it's not really that bad of a movie. What? I said it. I know my words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't great. say that about the Green Lantern movie. I said it about Batman Forever. I would say the Green Lantern movie is infinitely better than Batman Forever. Ooh, really? Yeah. Batman Forever, a great Christmas movie. Green Lantern, it's got its chuckles here and there. But I mean, come on now. At least Ryan Reynolds is there to look at. He's there, but he's... it. The, 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 he that is the only poll the only draw is ryan reynolds the rest of the movies the outer space scenes at the beginning were kind of cool nah. the only the only thing i liked is when he did the hot no plot i it was it was a yeah back to the track that we're on which is not where the hottest track that he made yes <laughs> where we have a plot so yes. um you know, they start talking and they understanding what their chronometers were turning backwards at the beginning of the story. Oh, no. And they're in the sphere of influence. <sighs> and 
you know, they get insulted by the guardians again. They can't understand this. And Spock asks one more time to try. Um, but if this is true, how old uh, you are, if time does not move at its normal rate here, how long have you been here to be as old as you are? Which seems like a spinny question. And before they can answer that, Beckwith comes running out. And uh, here's one I don't get. He totally gets smacked by Spock and then knocks him out. I'm like, what? Whoa. So Beckwith is apparently a strong, fat drug dealer. Well, I mean, most are. That's fair. From my own experience. So he knocks Spock out. (laughs) And then he tries to grab Yeoman Rand and she kicks his ass. Of course, as if she <laughs> wouldn't. I love this about Yeoman Rand in this story. Let me go. She's like, heel, crotch. <laughs> yep. I think she has a good. I think the problem was back with technique on the on the rear naked choke is just not good. You got to have both arms up. He's trying to control the arm, but he doesn't get the other one. She's able to elbow out. Yeah. Yeah. So just bad technique. That, bad that's technique. what we're looking at. So solar plexus, man. She hits him right there. He blitzes in. Kirk tries to stop him. But since there's no foreign objects to for Kirk to grab and he doesn't have a double axe handle, he can't knock him out. Nope. No Hurricane Ranas today. So he that'd be a flying head scissors probably in wrestling back then. A Hurricane <laughs> now, like just <laughs> making it clear. It's how he beat Khan in the original episode if you're not knowing right like just go back or didn't he hit him with stuff like it was bad like it was it it was a few different things he pulled out every wrestling move in the book uh, to get even foreign objects so it's not so good so anyway here he goes and uh beckwith's gone it's gone he's 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 hit that stream man he's like everybody i'm out and gone is the first issue just like that. So we're going to get on. We're going to start the second issue here in a second. Uh, Greg, what do you think of the story setup? So far, so good. I mean, it is it is very dialogue heavy, um, but that that goes without saying it needs to be to for a lot of the setup for us as the reader to understand what's going on. And I'm sure that as this plays out, as we start to get into more stuff, it's going to, uh, the, the thickness of the dialogue is going to drop down. Uh, there's a lot of things that have to get told and explained to us so that we understand what's happening, why it's happening, and, and to move the story along. Uh, the pacing and everything like that is just pop, 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 pop. It moves really quick. Um, and the, the choices for panels uh they are just beautiful the way the the pages are laid out um on for every panel on this uh even though it's such dialogue heavy book or you know uh, uh this 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 issue it is uh not the dialogue doesn't eat up the art um as much as you would think so i was pleased to be able to enjoy a lot of that art in these panels and to be able to see so much detail uh, in all the different things that are being shown. Uh, each and every character's face is 
done beautifully. Uh, even these guardians, I mean, they're, they're all similar, but they're all unique and that's really cool. And I feel like you nailed it. Uh, the, the marrying of science fiction and fantasy is like damn near perfect. Yeah. And to your point, the panel layouts all, they change throughout the story and they seem to fit each scene. So yeah. I really like, especially, I don't have page numbers in this, unfortunately, but there's scene, the panel they drew, I'm trying to find it. I guess I don't need to go find it since I don't have a page number to reference, but the panel when there's, when it's going through time mm-hmm. and he has the panel in the middle or toward the bottom of the page where all of them are looking at it. Oh and yeah. Going down. That's, that's brilliant. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful. It just looks so nice and it, it's pleasing to the eye. And then just the page opposite of that with all the, the vertical panels is really nice too, because you get such a nice uh, look and it breaks up. So you've got these very nicely done horizontal panels on the page opposite. And then on the, uh, the next page, everything's vertical and the layout uh, and you get just great detail on those images as well. So top notch. Well, we, we turn the page and we get another awesome sci-fi cover uh, by Juan Ortiz with Kirk in the foreground, Spock in the background. And they're kind of looking up at a city. Mm -hmm. And we get right back in. Uh, So this would be, for those of you, if, if you're reading the graphic novel, obviously it just rolls right through. And then this would be issue two. So there were five issues. It's five issue set. So it'd be issue two. Issue starting two. off with now. And uh, of course, Kirk gets knocked down because he's Kirk. Even though he got beat up too, he turns around and goes, ask Spock if he's okay. I'm undamaged, Captain. Yeah, classic, classic Captain Kirk too, right? I wasn't knocked down. Is everybody else okay? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> and uh, of course, now Kirk realizes that he went back and the Guardians let them know that the Vortex was open and that the past has already changed. Oh, man. Say it ain't so. So everything that they know is different. The world is topsy-turvy now. And of course, Spock immediately asks, how has it changed? And the Guardians don't give him much of an answer. The time flow has been diverted. We are being summoned. The machines of the ancients are registering traumas in time. We must return. And there they go. They're gone. Gone. And so they start looking around and trying to get back to the ship. And so... Um, in the best move of all time, uh, they take Kirk and Spock and Yeoman Rand stay on the planet and ship their entire security detail to a new ship. Yeah, because that's smart. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to get rid of all the security people. Mm-hmm. And they're also speculating. They think maybe Beckwith killed somebody in the past, and and that's what caused the problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they bounce up to the ship and they transport up and you've got uh, some interesting looking folks 
you've got Kazam in, but a red Kazam in the background there. Is that, <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, yep. Uh, with uh, it looks like Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, I like it. And then uh, a bunch of cyberpunks from yeah. uh, the the video game Cyberpunk. Oh, is that what you're thinking? I thought yeah. they were the uh, character. Legitimately, I thought they were uh, the characters from Firefly. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's the crew of Firefly. Or no, no, the guy in the middle definitely from the Matrix. He's the guy that turncoats on them. Okay, and the rest are from <laughs> Firefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I like it though. I love the art here. Still, again, uh, basically, you got folks in leather, which leather and capes, which is always bad news um, in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, definitely bad. And uh, all the security detail have been captured fairly easily. Um, yeah, you would think that they, you know, have some sort of training, or you know, I mean, didn't they all have blasters and phasers? I'm pretty sure they had phasers. I mean, I hope they walk around with phasers if there's security detail, but. You know, security detail, red shirts, you're right. They, they tend to get defeated pretty quickly. They might have just been engineers, Dan. <laughs> they might have been engineers. It would have been completely logical to bring uh, one, two, three, four, five engineers with you on the planet while you're exploring something, trying to capture somebody. They had machines down there, Dan. They yeah. had time machines, Dan. Time machines. Time vortex. They wanted to, they wanted to figure them out. They it's brought engineers. Time well, they didn't know that when they got down there. They they saw no, their the chronometers were messed up. Yeah, they saw they saw the radiation signatures, man. So what we find is uh, Spock and Kirk have an amazingly long conversation while they're being captured. Oh man, yeah. <clears throat> and Yeoman Rand, the best character in the story so far, shorts out the entire transporter console and knocks everybody back. Uh, a phaser fight ensues. Uh, Captain Kirk, of course, doesn't use a phaser because that would make sense. He starts choking out and he has much better technique than Beckwith. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he's got to disable these people, man. Starts choking out the captain of the Condor. Captain uh, Condor? Man. No, captain of the Condor, not Captain Condor. That's so did that make him Condor Man? Uh, sure. Whoa. He's a superhero in the Disney universe. No. No, this is not the Disney universe. I know. It's okay, not. I want you. I, I, I want to say something very serious to you right now. Yes. Do not <laughs> say that the Disney, that Disney, the Disney, the mouse owns yes. Star Trek. They do not. I, I did not. I just said I reference Captain Condor. I, I reference Condor Man. <laughs> it's fine, but don't bring Disney into this. Okay. Disney doesn't have this yet. Okay. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed. Did we understand? Are we clear? Uh, we are clear. Okay. Matter of time. <laughs> All right. So staring out at the beautiful sunshine outside at the lake house I'm at, coming into my Zen state, we're now returning to the book. And yes. here we are. And uh, they uh, lock everybody out. They take over the room. And they start planning their way to get people back. Uh, so Captain Kirk, in his wisdom, leaves Yeoman Rand in charge to uh, to make sure that they can save themselves. And Spock and Kirk head back down to the planet. Hey. Summarize about the last four pages, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
It's it funny too, because you said last, the first issue, how the action moved really fast. Mm-hmm. And then like we get this kind of four issue, four panel, you know, four page thing mm-hmm. where nothing's moving fast. It's just like, but, uh, it, and it would be all action. It, it, like I, this, all of this right now, like I'm sure in the show happens so quickly and assuming this, is, this happened in the show, assuming it happened in the show, but if it were to, if this was a show, I mean like this would, this would happen so fast and a lot of the dialogue would be chopped. Yeah. Well, and it's just, it was a lot of dialogue. I think it was good dialogue, right? Like they're kind of discussing their next steps and what their plans are. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this impetus to change things back. And yeah. I do like the dialogue for building up uh, Rand as a key character. So mm-hmm. I think that's good. If we were, if this is a long-term storyline, right. And this was going to be an episode and we're building Rand for the future. I think a lot of this dialogue makes sense. Oh yeah, no, totally. It, and giving her, like I said, that, that agency be like, you know, if you're going to build her up as a character and, and making her someone with, with importance on the, the ship, and giving her that agency that is super important because now they put the trust in her that she's going to hold it down and she's going to, she's going to, you know, lead. She's a leader. Yep. And so she's going to hold down the fort, uh, until captain Kirk and Spock get back. And, uh, they transport to the planet and immediately the guardians tell them the universe you knew never existed. Oh, you man. came in never existed the men and women you knew never existed they don't even let kirk ask any questions now they're mad at him so angry at him silly humans it, they just let it go that's what they say you gotta let it go <laughs> yep. kirk wants to go back they're like let it go let it go let it go let it go see yeah. i can do disney reference too but I, what I, I, I'm, it, it, it's in the book, Dan. It's in the book. I, I didn't make it up. Harlan did. They stole it from him. Okay, so we, Kirk spent some time convincing the Guardians they have a, a throwdown, mm-hmm. and they, Kirk, of course, like he does with everybody, because uh, Kirk is. Like he rolled an eighteen on charisma and then had buffs to take it up to about forty six. <laughs> and he commits his uh, beings who have lived there forever to let him go back in time and then of course Spock has to explain because his intelligence is buffed to 48 uh, he has to explain to Kirk how that's going to work because Kirk just asked for the thing but has no idea what he's getting so basic physics two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time you cannot send us back to the precise time and Beckwith's disappearance can you and they tell him they have to send them before or after and so they get ready to go and they make a point out of uh, setting up the tricorder uh, to resonate with the vortex so they can get back there maybe the tricorder will become important later in the story maybe it's possible. Track orders are always important. I feel like we're doing some foreshadowing here. Yeah. And uh, then Kirk just opines, I just hope we won't have been waiting for years. Yeah, I didn't even say it right. I just hope we won't have been waiting for years. There we go. Yes. 
And they were still waiting to go back in time. So <laughs> the <laughs> Guardians tell them. Oh, Guardians tell them. Um, sorry. Uh, yes, but in each time period, there is a focal point, an object, a person, something that is indispensable to the normal flow of time. Unimportant otherwise, but a catalyst. Uh-oh. Sounds Ooh. like something went down where somebody was hurt. Yeah, or something. So, something. There's, there's a, there is definitely a, a, a point in time that's fixed there that they have to get back to because there is a person or an object or a thing that is they're being drawn to. Yes, and Kirk asks, how can we stop him? And the Guardians say, No, but the... Um, oh, sorry. No, but the stresses of the time flow will draw him to it. The influence... If he influences it, nothing can restore the shape of the past. Bring him back. He will seek that which must die and give it life. Stop him. I don't understand. Can't you tell me more? Uh, you need to deposit 25 more cents. Depositing 25 more cents. Blue, it will be blue as the sky of old earth and clear as truth. And the sun will burn on it. And there is the key. Please deposit 25 more cents. And then I love the next scene. I love oh, the rainbow. Uh, as, yes, there's a rainbow, but you didn't deposit 25 more cents, so I can't tell you the rest of the... Oh, I'm not ready, because I want to talk about oh. this art oh, for okay. a second, and then we can read the rest of the, the advice. <laughs> okay. They, I love the paneling, like you described. We see their looks, they go in, and then we have the, the rainbow art, which is an homage to comic book and sci-fi time travel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is amazing. And mm -hmm. then... Especially, of course, from my perspective, like the Superboy and Legion time travel as they go through time and they break the time barrier. And it's always like these rainbowy circle things. And then here we go. And I will as, deposit 25 more cents now. As you wish, more detail will be given. As the night as night falls, they run like hunters. And for all our wisdom, we are helpless. Okay, so our clues, what do they have to find? They have to bring him back because uh, he, he will seek that which must die. So he's. Yes. Um, and, and give it life. So he's preventing somebody from dying, it looks like. And then. And then uh, it's going to be blue like the sky. Blue like the sky. And uh, there's going to be a sun. Sun. sun okay. will burn so Blue like the sky and a sun. Okay, so those are our clues. Somebody is going to keep somebody alive, and there'll be blue and a sun. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All seems reasonable. Yeah, seems, 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 seems legit to me. I mean, you know. And then loving it because they... Uh, the 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 time travel sequence is so cool because we flip the page and they're like sideways coming out of the time stream sort of and then we see 
Ellison's theater, always a nice touch to me when the artist, uh, you know, puts things into the book like that. Oh yeah. A little Easter egg. And the CCC, a CCC camp. <laughs> Do you know what CCC was, Greg? Do tell. The Civilian Conservation Corps. Ah. And so we know we're in the Great Depression. Those were the, uh, for, for those who are not familiar, those are the, uh, when they would bring artists out and, uh, and people to build roads in um, uh, national parks. Yeah, basically people that didn't have money. Mm-hmm. Go work. So they were they, the government was trying to give people jobs, and it's also right next to a, a free soup kitchen, and we have uh, men going in for soup, and of course, you know, here we go. Um, there's Spock and Kirk are wandering around. They're looking very confused and out of place, <laughs> and uh, and then Donald Trump's dad shows up. Uh, <laughs> What kind of country is this where men have to stand in bread lines just to fill their bellies? I'll tell you what kind of country run by foreigners, all, all the scum we let in to take the food from our mouths, from all the alien filth that pollutes our country. Oh, gosh. It's just, you know, it's just everywhere, Greg. Everywhere. It, 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 every it's, time. <laughs> it's literally everywhere every time. Like every time we read something, this shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it's... uh time after time man but in these unprecedented times where we live in where people have been racist and bigots for the first time ever mm-hmm. uh, can we just share some of the things we read with people so they know that people have been bigots and racist and then we should get rid of all of them yeah yeah well and and also just the fact that i mean like i mean not to not to clunk it over the head too much but you get people that are like oh i don't i don't believe that these messages are in the in the books and in the the media that i like but i mean this is this is original star trek and on well, an original script in this case right original so script on an original script because there's also original star yes, trek yes. this is the original episode. script for a star trek episode that was tackling these messages <laughs> And referencing the 1930s where these messages were being said in a 1968 script. So it's not like, you know, we're rewriting history by saying that this existed. No, this this purely did and was being referenced uh, to to drive home a point that it was still relevant. And here's one of my favorite things, because uh, I just finished listening to the Kennedy and King uh, book, uh, which Mm -hmm. profiles as you might guess, uh, John F. Kennedy's relationship with Martin Luther King and how they inter- they were intertwined. Yeah. And uh, of course, during that book, and of course, if you're reading any history of the time period, I mean, it was embarrassing for Eisenhower and Kennedy and Johnson as presidents to go work with other countries, especially the communist, quote unquote, in quotes, enemies, right? Yeah. Who would just call us out and we'd say, oh, well, communism is bad, but oh yeah, but you all you know, discriminate against your own people. Right. Mm -hmm. And here immediately Spock just calls it out in horror. Yeah. And he says, is this the heritage Earthmen brag about the sickness? (laughs) And the art on it is amazing. Yeah. Like Spock's look. And you know, Spock has that like inquisitive look where it kind of raised one eyebrow, but in this, both eyebrows go up Mm -hmm. and it's not a normal look I get for Spock. This is a very emotional look. Yeah. And I, 
I find this is the beginning uh, of this. Uh, and I mean, I don't want to call too much attention to it, but I, I really like how, and we'll get into it more later, but this story definitely brings out so much more of Spock than you see before. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, and again, he wrote so many words. We, we referenced the length of the script, right? Mm-hmm. So we, Ellison did get to dig into the characters a little bit more. Yeah. But I do really like um, how Spock is portrayed throughout the story. I mean, we're, we're about to finish up the second issue, but throughout the story and uh, Spock's justifications for his own actions uh, through his words. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, immediately the crowd turns on Spock when they see his ears and they start, they think he, they think he's one of those foreigners. So they, they go get him. And uh, great art as Kirk and Spock try to get away. Uh, Spock or Kirk, sorry, shoots a phaser at a light pole and evaporates it, which stuns everybody. (laughs) That would make sense. And they run off into an alley uh, past Tipton Bros. Deli, which were the uh, script writers or the adapters of the script for the comic. Mm -hmm. And then they head down, they knock over some garbage cans. We got a lot of action scene going on now. So I think this is where to the action speeds up and I love the art and the action and the minimal dialogue, mm-hmm. but I liked seeing all of the action here too. Right. I, yeah. It made me feel like I was watching the show. Yeah. And it, it gives them, it, it, it shows you that they're, they're literally running through time, <laughs> you know? Yep. And, and they're showing the differences, right? The brick buildings. It looks like New York too, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they hop a fence, pass uh, some clotheslines, and jump into a cellar. Boom. And they end the story, or this part of the story, with uh, Kirk says, down there in the basement, and Spock says, and if the mob follows? And Kirk, in his normal cavalier fashion, just says, one problem at a time, Mr. Spock. And we get to the end of the story. Or the first two issues of the story, I should say. And this is where we're going to stop on uh, this. On a cliffhanger. Ooh, cliffhanger. What other problems will they encounter? When will we talk about them? Next week, I guess. Um. <laughs> we will talk about it next week. Uh so far, I just want to say really enjoying the adaptation. I uh, can't wait to talk about the rest of it with you. And I hope, you know, audience listeners out there, you're enjoying this too. And when I say I'm super excited, I you probably can hear it in my voice because we're doing Star Trek. So I am, yeah, happy. Yeah, now this is this is a great, um, a great issue or a great, a, a great little series to follow. And uh everything that we said so far um you know the the artwork the the words um the adaptation of the the screenplay it is um top notch so if you haven't if you haven't checked it out thus far go check it out so you can follow along through the rest of the episodes with us and watch uh you probably will hear this before greg and i do this so 
We will be setting up uh, one of these afternoons when we record a watch along. <gasps> a watch along? Yep. So oh my. you that can means... watch along with us. And if we can't pull this off and I can, if we can't pull that off, we're at least going to track. Uh, so it'll be three, one, two, three. We'll do three of these. And then a fourth episode, we'll be actually watching the show. So if we can't get the actual watch along coordinated, we're at least going to tag the episode where you can start watching with us. So you know, read the book first and then prepare to watch uh, City on the Edge of Forever with us. Oh, that is cool. And I where, am where else do you get that? Books. You get that at Funny Book Forensics people at the Spoilerverse. That's where you get it. Where else do you get it in the Spoilerverse? Well, you could go watch the Snyder Cut with somebody. Yeah, but we, we're not talking about that unless you're going to eat Snyder's pretzels with us. Yeah, and, you know, pretzels get really boring after five hours. Yeah, yeah. Unless you got like four bags of, you know, you got your, you got your, your honey mustard, your regular, your buffalo wing. Um, what else? they got the, um, the pepper crack pepper ones. And then um, I think they have, there's another like a, the, isn't the, there the, one that's like a dark side? Did pretzel? pretzel? I can't remember. Um, like I, a dark side would appear if you made the show five hours. Oh, Maybe oh. dark side might the dark side pretzel that would yeah so it's just nothing but burned. dark side pretzel <laughs> nothing but burned pretzel yeah. edges and then all of a sudden it's so you open that bag last and dark side appear you get the dark side and the dark side oh would it be and like it, nothing but john Byrne pretzel ooh. dark side yeah appearances yeah dark side appearances left and right oh yeah well but we don't get that in the Snyder Cut, do we? Watch the trailer, <laughs> Greg. Watch. Okay. Um, I I don't want to, Dan. Just don't watch you. Watch the trailer. I don't want to, Dan. Don't make me. It I'd rather you matter. I don't. I'm not gonna. Okay, unless yeah. unless we get people like you. If we have people that tell me to do it from this podcast, I might do it. All right. If you want. Greg to watch the trailer. He will TikTok that stuff. I'll do a reaction, but I'll I'll do a reaction video. But right now, I'm I'm saving myself from from that that whole thing because I just I can't put the time into it right now. I just can't do it. Can't put my time into it. Well, that's why at Funny Book Forensics we chose to read the original Harlan Ellison teleplay and get the Harlan Ellison cut instead of the Snyder pretzel cut. There you go. Quite frankly, this is a work of art. And yeah, this is a work of art. It is. Or you could have crunchy pretzel goodness. You could have that with this. And that's our Snyder cut. And you could still wonder why Darkseid wasn't the villain. I, I wonder so much. So I don't wonders. know why. Why? Why would you choose a dark side minion as your villain instead of just know. having dark side? I don't know because Steppenwolf sounds so cool. And how would making <laughs> it longer make it better? I I don't know. I mean, I like Steppenwolf the the musician, but <laughs> how would making it longer make it better? Why? Why are they doing this to us? I don't know. You get a the the dark. Superman suit to our colleagues on this network that want the Snyder cut curse you 
curses go to you and you yes. and you and you. And did I miss anybody? I, I haven't sworn the entire podcast, so it's not going to happen now. Okay. But maybe next time. Ooh. Hear Dan swear about uh, Harlan Ellison. Okay. And on that note, thanks everybody for listening to Funny Book Forensics. <laughs>